0: Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. I started this podcast to talk to librarians who show off the value of the variety of important skills we use on a daily basis. I have also talked to librarians who are studying our profession or working to improve it. From listener feedback, a lot of us have gained great insights from these conversations. My guest today has started a business that could change what library leadership looks like. Helen Rimmer's business is called The Kind Brave Leader. We definitely need more kindness and bravery in our workplaces. Helen, welcome to the librarian linkover. Hello, thank you for having me. Sure. Tell us about The Kind Brave Leader. It seems obvious why we need more kindness everywhere, especially in the workplace, especially in libraries. But what was it that made you decide that you wanted to start your training business? Why do you focus on kindness and
1: bravery? So I was very lucky. I did a PG cert in the psychology of kindness and well-being at the University of Sussex. um, And I was one of their first graduates from it. And that blew my mind because it changed everything, really. It made me realise how much sort of the things that are instinctive to, I think, a lot of librarians around kindness and well-being actually have scientific evidence. There's Um, and social science evidence there's lots of research that backs it up and so it sort of took me on a journey of um, realizing how complicated it is though Um, I think it's one of those things where once you start digging down into something the layers come and you're like oh this is all a lot more complicated Mm -hmm. just like a lot of people I think I always knew um, you know kindness niceness yeah it's all good it's going to make you feel better yeah but I've realised now how complicated it is that kindness is so much more than niceness. It's so nice is something polite. It's, you know, it's like opening a door for someone or just saying hello. Uh, kindness is a much deeper connection, um, really understanding someone else's needs um, and being proactive about the things you do to enhance people's lives and obviously um in libraries that involves both our users patrons as of, <laughs> in america and our colleagues and how important that all is as a sort of synergy i love the fact that in libraries i think we're like a microcosm for organizations all over the world mm-hmm. because we have customer service we have the back office sort of things we have in a way sales because we're out mm-hmm. there and we Selling our services. Marketing is obviously a big thing within libraries. Um, we also do all of the teaching, you know, and it will vary depending on your library, quite what you're doing, but even a reference um interview, that is another very specific skill, but something you can take elsewhere, you can do. And I think as an organization, we tend to have very different people. I, I don't know, when I'm thinking of um, you know people who are working on the front line compared with people who are in the back office they're quite often very different personalities mm-hmm. library, but all sorts of different reasons um, and different types of libraries for all sorts of different reasons so you've got a whole world of difference there and it's brilliant and the diversity should be celebrated but it's the say it's like not always thought about because a lot of people stay in jobs for a very long time so a lot becomes very legacy entrenched behaviors um a lot of librarians you know this is a sweeping statement but quite a lot of librarians don't like change much <laughs> and a lot yep. do i thrive mm-hmm. in it but a lot Same. yeah yeah <laughs> but there definitely are people that don't um and the world of libraries has changed so much, the, uh, what we're being asked to do, you know, we're often now when you're working in a library, you're not just dealing with books or reference inquiries, you're dealing with all sorts of things. Um, in my previous um, role we ran the student centre was all the student customer service for the university and that meant we had students coming in all sorts of distress all sorts of needs complex queries about things um, that we needed to know who to send them to and that's the same in public libraries the world over as well more and more these roles are becoming so much more complex and so bring it back to the kindness of well-being we need to be brave that's where my bravery comes in in actually standing up and going right things have changed we need to make some Big choices. And I think that's where often we fall down. So organisations we work in are risk averse, or the management above the sort of core library staff might be very organisation focused rather than people focused. So they're putting the organisation first, um, they're putting the reputation of the organisation ahead of actually things that will help the people. And the kind thing to do is put your people front and center of everything you do because that uh-huh. will help your users. it will help everything you do basically um and I think for me it's that I always say a good example is kind the kindest thing off to do is the most difficult thing to do it's having those difficult conversations it's performance management um it's actually thinking of the whole not just the individual all very complex and now I know about it, I want to spread the word, but what's also really good is lots of really easy things can help the world be kinder. So for example, um, there's evidence that, um, that's for example, doctors who are given sweets in training while they're training, once they go into the world of work, um, they because they've been rewarded it's almost like a dog they've been rewarded with kindness (laughs) um they will be better at listening to their patients and things it's all much more complicated than that but yeah people who receive um good things in their training that has a lasting effect on them um all through they don't have to carry on being given the good thing they just become good and kind people so yeah i think that's
0: how interesting (laughs) We all, so. we all need chocolate while we're in training, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if chocolate could like save management, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Management yeah, training? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I love that you offer a course on thriving. Yeah. Leadership training is so often all about providing basic skills or handling difficult situations, but we don't often hear about thriving in a leadership role. How do you decide on your course material? What topics are important enough to warrant being included in the training?
1: So for me, thriving is really the key part of well-being. If you think of well-being as a spectrum, you've got thriving where you are inhibiting your role in such a way that you are happy and um, your well-being is looked after, you're growing in it. And then you've got sort of the middle bit where you're languishing. You're just sitting there, you're not flourishing, you're not doing thriving You're just there and things might not be quite right. And that's actually the really dangerous part. And that's the part where you might have become a bit de-skilled, but you're not in that like completely falling apart end where you're going to get signed off with burnout. You're in the bit where you're just a bit fed up. And what I want is um, to improve the well-being of people actually is to think how we get from that languishing to that thriving. So part of the course materials are giving people skills that will help them do that, both themselves, but also the teams they're leading or managing or working at. And when I talk about leaders, I'm talking about anybody who feels they're pushing things forward. So it's not just leaders as in a director or a manager. You could be a leader who is. A really innovative person in open access and you're the only person doing that role so you're not leading a team but you're leading the conversation on it or so it isn't just about sort of leading a team but it's about looking after your own well-being and the well-being of others so things like emotional intelligence and empathy really key score uh, without them your well-being will suffer you need to sort of be able to develop them you need to be and but also you need to be in the right role for you I think that's really important part some of what I talk about is that looking at your own strengths and working out how you can use them to be the best at your role but also get the best out of other people because if you start to understand how your whole team works then you can make the most of it for example I've got terrible attention to detail you know my we <laughs> were not gonna ever happen <laughs> but i have a lot of people skills so actually when you look at me in a team you want to give me the work that pushes me out to the people and it and not something where i've got to sit and read a lot of texts and make a lot of um you know careful annotations for example mm-hmm. because won't play to my skills and what that would do is drain me and it would take me a lot longer than someone that would place the skills on so strengths is part of what I look at so both for your team and you work out what you're doing and that then leads on to one of my favorite well-being models I look at two or three well-being models but one of them is the job demands resources model and the idea is your the demands of your job need to match the resources you've got And this isn't just money or it's things like time. So time management comes up in my well-being work. It's about prioritisation. It's about also looking at things like what can you automate? What can you delegate? And what can you ditch? Sitting there and thinking, yeah, actually, that will make the best of what I'm doing. So skills like that, little models to help your resources so the demands of your job match the resources you've got. But the other side of that is actually, is your job making too many demands of you? Actually, uh-huh. as a leader, if you're looking at your team or even your own role, actually could they point into it if you left? That's a good question to ask, because actually possibly not a lot of us take and take and take on. And actually that's too demanding of us because we might be taking things that pull our strengths away but we also might be taking on things that um drain our energy as well and it well, that's that's the same thing but don't build up our strengths or push our strengths into overdrive where we sit there and we're just like very compassionate but it's taking all the compassion out of us because we've gone into overdrive with it so sitting and looking at your job demands resources and from that the one of the other things i explore on it is um around job crafting and this is quite a fashionable sort of well becoming <laughs> but if you think about it you can go to starbucks and you can order a coffee that is tailored to you you can have your double shot macchiato you know all sorts of with caramel and whatever you can do the same if you went to buy a suit if you've got the money you could get it tailored to you you tailor so much in your life why can't we tailor our jobs and actually we can sit down with people and the key part of this is they have to want to do it but you can sit and you can work through what, how to make a job work for the person in front of you now obviously there's things we all have to do if you're on the front line you've got to do the desk if you're a liaison librarian You've got to do teaching. If you're a cataloger, you've got to catalog books. But what around it will bring out the best in someone? How can you make sure they're also developing? Because I think one of the big risks we also have, people don't want to change. But even if they stay static, the world around them is changing. So they're actually de-skilling, even if they think they're staying static because everything's changing around them. Uh-huh. And stuck in a job and then they get unhappy and then they pull everybody else down because a big part of the other thing i look at in it is the culture of where you work and how you make sure that's not pulling at the well-being of the people in it because i think that can be so detrimental um, yeah that is
0: so interesting if you're if you're static you're de-skilling
1: yeah completely
0: I love that. I mean, it's, it's, I've never thought of it like that. It's like, I yeah. always think like people aren't keeping their skills up or employers aren't requiring people keep their skills up, but I never thought of it as you're de-skilling if you're not keeping your skills
1: up because everything yeah. moves forward. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really, really good for us to bear in mind. With all of that's this. really good. And I also
0: like, I believe in playing to people's strengths. Yeah. Like especially like in reference, you have a program, you make a sign. Not everyone's good at making signs. I'm not good at making signs. One person's good at making signs, let them make all the signs. If they want to do it, let them make all the signs. Like there's enough work to do that everyone else, there's something that their strength that they can they can fill in on.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wow.
0: I really like that. If you're static, you're de-skilling. That's gonna stay with me for a long time. (laughs) thank you for saying that <laughs> um so how do you find your client how do you find your clients like who's well, your target because really i'm saying you're changing libraries but you really this is qual this like scales to all industries
1: yeah changing the world is my aim you're But changing the world
0: yeah libraries yes. are where i
1: come from they're what i know so far it's word of mouth i did a course for library juice on um kindness and well-being which mm-hmm. was a good Um, You know, and I got to meet lots of lovely librarians through that. Um, But it's word of mouth at the moment. But what I would love is people to come and talk to me. And, you know, I have so many. I think one of the things is I've got so many ideas. I feel like how do I get my message across of what I can actually offer? So as we've just described, the Thrive programme is can be I'm running it in May, launching it again in May for people to sign up individually but also run it, I could run it for an organisation, for their teams. So if people just contact me, spread the word, share your podcast as well, you get the and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, then I can come. And obviously the great thing about now is because I can do everything on, te- on um, Zoom or Teams, then I don't have to travel. So I now can be worldwide without having to, you know, spend eight hours on a plane to deliver a workshop and the cost of all that. <laughs>
0: Well, and your your cost is
1: less because yes. the the client doesn't have to pay for travel and your hotel. No. Yeah. So really, really cost effective and cost effective way of um, yeah getting some really good work. Um, one of the programs I'm working on sort of as an offer is around bringing management teams together. So often you'll have a group of managers who, and this could be three or four layers of management, who some of them have worked there a long time might be de-skilled some of them are new to management some are new to the organization but experienced managers and they could be all sorts of different flavors and they might not just not be working they might be uh, they might have gone through a big change There could be all sorts of reasons and i'm working on a program that skills them up in some of this well-being stuff this sort of psych- positive psychology this psychological culture so they're all speaking the same language so to speak so they can go off and have coaching conversations with their teams but one of the bonuses of it is we pair people up within that team so people who don't normally work together and they have some peer activities between each lesson and that's a great way of bringing together um, a team so they've all got a shared vision and um that's something I'm really getting quite passionate about and I hope people um will want um to offer because we did something similar not quite the same because obviously I'm bringing my flavor to it and not working in an organization helps that um -hmm. but we we did something similar and it really helped with um team building without it being obvious in your face team building you know it's that Mm -hmm. sort of Mm yeah thank you yeah (laughs) it's unintended consequences which are really intended um but yeah it's a great (laughs) way of bringing people um together and the thrive program as well can do that or a bespoke one that brings all of these different things together and i'm also um on wednesday going to become a strength scope master so i'll be able to do um strength scope for everybody which is a strengths um like assessment Mm -hmm. um which is brilliant so all in all i'm bringing together some tools and yeah so going back to your original question getting clients the moment it's my word of mouth um but i really yeah just want to spread the word and hopefully people listening will go oh yeah we need a bit of that yeah
0: well my mind's been blown like three times during this conversation so (laughs) i'm sure the people listening will be like oh my gosh, we've got to pursue this and see what else she offers. So we'll give your contact info when we're done. But yeah, that, I, I'm still like thinking about, I'm like trying not to grab my phone to text my friend to say, if you're static, you're de-skilling. I'm trying to like refrain from that. So I'm paying attention to what you're saying, but that really is still,
1: that's really like got me. Yeah, it? it's That's got me. And it's so true that you can keep people's skills up even with quite light touch things. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a big program. It could be a mm-hmm. webinar. You make sure everyone attends at least one webinar a year. Or encourage mm-hmm. them to listen to podcasts because all of that will open their minds and sort of mm-hmm. spark interest. It doesn't have to be big courses. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a great thing. Because again, not everyone's strength will be self-improvement, you know, and developing others is another strength. So but they do need to improve so actually yeah opening minds i think probably helps yeah
0: yeah you have a course on opening minds you would be uh overwhelmed with uh <laughs> attendees <laughs> <laughs> nice. so, so yeah. going a bit above like a sort of a bigger picture yeah. when you work for yourself you don't have time for yourself so how do yeah. you manage a reasonable work-life balance if you do manage a reasonable work-life balance <laughs>
1: well at the moment i'm writing a book as well so i'm writing a book called the Client librarian um which should come out in july um so i should be sending it off in the next couple of weeks so at this precise moment in time my work life balance isn't as good as it normally is but what i'm very good at is um boundaries and saying actually i'm not going to work in the evening or if i have got so i have a few clients coaching because i do coaching as well a few coaching clients that i do in the evenings. But then I take that time off in the day because for me now, uh-huh. that's work for my life. But I try not to work too many hours in the week. I try and switch off at the weekends because obviously that's um, time I can spend with my family. I really believe rest is productive. And that for me, sometimes actually, i get my best work done when I'm not doing work. So I might come uh-huh. up with an idea for a course because I'm swimming because I love swimming or I'm doing yoga and suddenly I'm like (laughs) in a sort of state of relaxation. I suddenly think, Oh, I should write about that or I should do that or I should talk to someone about that. So I think when you work for yourself, you're always working, but Mm -hmm. you have to remember that working isn't just sitting in front of a computer and it isn't. And you make sure that you do the things. So one of the things I've done this year is put in a swim every Monday I go for a swim because I'd found Mm -hmm. that that time had disappeared, but having it as an appointment in my calendar means it's there and I do my yoga and then other things sort of come along, but it's about valuing what you want and do. Yeah. Basically.
0: I think Mm -hmm. it also comes with experience where when you've done things for a while, you're, you're like, I can't keep this up at this pace. I have to have time to do my laundry or go for a walk or go to the gym or you have to be able to schedule those things so that you can get them done because you can't, you know, you're always thinking about your business, but you can't actually be working on it it. 24 hours a day.
1: No. And I've got a little notebook or on my phone. So if I come up with an idea, Mm -hmm. I can type it in and then it's gone. It's out of the way. And the other thing I always do is make sure I plan my annual leave. So obviously in the UK, we get quite a lot. Um, <laughs> and I, even though I'm working for myself, I'm still looking ahead and going, okay, I want to have that day off. I want my birthday off. So I've been through my calendar. I've blocked in time where, no, I won't be taking bookings for things because it's Easter or, um, you know, it's the bir- our birth- my birthday or my boy's birthday or something like that. And a few others, because I think it's really important to take regular breaks and not mm-hmm. store holiday up. And I think uh-huh. self-reporting really lose sight of that. The other thing we've done this year is one of the things that gets us down is that we start the year off going this year, we're going to go and visit XYZ <laughs> and we never get around to it. So what we did on New year's day, me and my husband and my nine-year-old son sat down and we wrote down five places we want to go in the UK. One of them had to be free or something we've got a membership for and the other four could be anything. And we sat and wrote them down. And then we each wrote something down for our three year old as well, because obviously he didn't really understand the concept. (laughs) And then we got the calendar out and we've written it in. And every month or so, we've got a family day in the calendar and it's protected. And just doing that has made me feel much more optimistic about the year ahead. A couple of things we're combining, like my son wants to go up the Shard and he wants to go on a boat trip on the Thames the shards next to the thames we can do that all in one day you know that's a great thing Mm -hmm. other things are more expensive so we wait until later in the year and some things like i wouldn't want to walk around london in august it's hell (laughs) hot and sweaty and (laughs) full of full of of tourists but we're going in february we're going up to the victorian Albert museum because that's a nice time of year to do it. It's inside, so we we're able to sit and plan it out, and that has been liberating. And now I'm like, well, what else could we plan? um Yeah, so that's been a good way of maintaining a work life balance.
0: And you're yeah. showing your son how to plan. <laughs> yeah, that it's and important to plan.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and prioritising yourself because you find yourself yes. going, "Oh yeah, they've got a party that day. Oh, I'll move it." But no, these are our dates, and they are in the calendar, and we're doing them.
0: Yeah. Wow, you sounds like you have a really good um uh, really good plan there. Yeah. That's very impressive. So what professional associations have you joined, or which ones have you gotten the most out of?
1: So over the years, um it's very local. <laughs> I was in I was on the steering group for the m twenty five consortium, which is the um, organization in the u k for um librarians in the southeast, basically. Um, around london so the m25 is the motorway that goes around london so it's london and surrounding area and i got so much out of um being in there because they had similar values to me but they also had um something called cpd 25 which is an amazing model that everybody should look at um where they run events all year for librarians, it's a good opportunity. I think I probably did my first ever speaking like thing through them, and um, uh-huh. way back, probably about I don't know what information literacy, probably um, way back when, because it's a really safe space. So it gives people new to like speaking and courses the chance to do it, whilst also bringing in voices from more experienced um, professionals. And I really value them. So if you're in the Southeast and you work in, it's not just university libraries, it's also special libraries. Really worth Yay. Yay, doing. special specials. Yeah. And special libraries really get their money's worth. I really recommend um, <laughs> them looking at joining if they're not already. And then also um, the other one, which again, not a member of anymore, was the Business Libraries Association in the UK. Loved it. They did the best conferences. Again, good training events all year. Brilliant conference really friendly people um really really good mailing list as well and I think that was really important um and everybody I know has ever been involved in it rates it so the quite pers- quite small bespoke things I've worked with Silip. I've worked um mm-hmm. with SLA at times so I've been involved in the bigger ones but some of those smaller ones are you can get a lot from
0: yeah I will put yeah. links to those in the show notes yeah lovely. so people
1: can check them out Yeah.
0: So many librarians are interested in the idea of going into business for themselves. What suggestions Mm. can you give to librarians who may want to start a business?
1: I think um, a few things. Probably take a bit of time to work out what you can offer. As you said, my offer is actually beyond libraries, but there's a lot of people who niche very much into libraries and do it brilliantly. So I've in a way niched towards kindness, but other people niche towards the library part and the training comes that way um i would say get in touch um with things if you can and try and offer some training through local library networks and things to test the water if you can mm-hmm. um, do obviously social media blogs linkedin is a great way of building a network spread your word that you are doing this and that you're interested in working Um, but also see if you can talk to people like me who are already further down or get some coaching big big advocate for coaching so people can work through what they think they want to do and what they actually want and can do and also make sure you've got some money in the bank that was quite important Mm -hmm. for me I haven't needed to worry for a few months because we'd saved and we have worked and we got mm-hmm. the money there. And I think that I think some people jump and then run out of money when their idea might have just been about to get over the line. So sitting down and planning, going back to that planning. Um, one of the things I've done is looked at what my personal goals are for my business Uh, and for my life and what my business goals are to try and match them because you hear all these people talking about you need to make six figures or you need to do this actually what do you need from your business and Mm -hmm. that'll be different for everyone because some people will have as you know lots of money in the bank that they can you know and it's just a hobby or for some people they will need um it to be their main income stream, and for me that's true. My, I always earned more than my husband, so replacing my salary is quite important. So we you sit down and you work it out. What do you really want to achieve? Because there's no point doing it and not earning some money from it. Mm-hmm. I think in libraries sometimes we shy away a bit from that. There's a little bit of like or oh, isn't there mm-hmm. that vocational or oh, oh, mm-hmm. you will be the expert in the room on something i guarantee everybody has something and the other thing to do if someone's sitting there and they're like i've got no idea what my business could be what do people come and always ask you about i bet there's something you're the go-to person in the library or amongst your friends um that you are the go-to person and if you are then that's your thing and from there you can start writing about it selling courses about it doing courses, becoming a coach, whatever it is that takes you to where it is. If you can work that bit out, then you're halfway there. Yeah. Great advice. Really yeah. good
0: tips. Why did you go to library school? And based on your career so far, does that
1: reasoning still hold? <laughs> well, <I'm> laughing. Laughing. <laughs> well, I wanted to be an archivist. And I didn't. Okay. I went to library school instead. Um, there was a library course at my local university. I had a job that I enjoyed, which meant I didn't really want to go away to university. So I chose librarianship over archives. My other thing I would have done was film studies, but mm. wouldn't have got me a job. Um, and I ended up doing an MA in film studies later. So I did it. I scratched that itch, but I did it later. So my nice. um, my library school was actually my undergraduate um, degree. Mm. I don't think I did that in the UK anymore. But we had great. um, Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. But even then, what I realised I enjoyed was the teaching and training and presentation stuff and the management stuff. And so I think I sort of fell into it almost. And actually, over time, what I realised was I had a lot of skills around people and that they were quite transferable. And although I made a career in libraries, I was a leader who happened to be a librarian rather than a mm-hmm. librarian front and centre. I love, that's right, you know, and I love the ethos and a lot of things around that. But that's not the be all and end all. Actually, I could have ended up doing a different degree and developing those skills. And those skills are what have led me to where I am now. And that is very much around people and teaching. And I really feel like, a training business and a coaching business is bringing all of the things I've done together. So, yeah, my reasoning probably still holds in that it was a good degree to do. But (laughs) actual library stuff, I don't think I've done any proper library stuff for a very, very long time. And I think that's the other thing. (laughs) As you move up in libraries, you don't need the people... As you move up, the the skills that are valued lower down aren't necessarily the skills you need to move... Up, mm-hmm. so and but I think sometimes people get promoted because they're very good doers, mm-hmm. and they're not very very good leaders. And I feel mm-hmm. right really strongly that we need to work out how to promote people because they're good doers as well as people who are good leaders. And actually, if you go back to the strength stuff, if you look at my strengths, they're all things that would make me a good leader. They're not necessarily things that would make me a good librarian. And I was lucky I got promoted using them. Um, but I probably wasn't very easy to manage when I was lower down because actually I was pushing myself forward. You know, my strengths were further around. Right. And I've had conversations with a few other people and one of them said, yeah, I was a terrible middle manager, but I'm actually quite good at leading a larger organisation. Actually, we need to look at career paths for people, mm-hmm. to their strengths and work out what we value and actually is there a reason why the only way you can be promoted is to manage people because actually the management is the key skill the leadership is a key skill um, that should be valued on an equal basis to being good at your actual doing job yeah so
0: i completely agree we don't do management training anymore
1: no no
0: there's and no management job. You're managing and you're doing the job. Mm-hmm. That's why I have a, my Substack newsletter called Pondering Leadership, oh, shameless yes. plug, I guess, on my yep. podcast, where <laughs> I talk about like specific things, yes. not like theory and high level. It's like when someone leaves, what's the hiring process like? Yeah. Like you don't yeah. get trained on that or like nope. how to get an, a reluctant employee on board with a project or, oh, you yeah. know, how do you manage a building or like things you don't yes. get taught anywhere and, and my newsletter, like your business, is not just libraries. I don't write about libraries. I just write in general about business or about managing and leading. Um, yeah. But I think that is, that is a problem that we've had in the States for quite some time with, um, yeah. you know, someone leaves, well, you're good at this, so you can be the manager. And then and everyone else leaves because they're a terrible manager. Yeah. And then they promote them because they're not yeah. good at that.
1: So they mo- keep moving them up. Yeah. And they're often not brave enough to actually deal with the stuff that's the problem. So then you get the legacy toxicity. They've mm-hmm. moved on. Mm-hmm. Someone who might be a good leader comes in, but they're inheriting a pile of mm-hmm. mess mm-hmm. that is really difficult to work with. And then they have to move on because they can't handle mm-hmm. mess. And in fact, on my blog this week, uh, coming up, I've got something on legacy toxicity. And last week I wrote about um, the art of saying goodbye. I don't think we talk enough about people leaving organisations and the well-being needed around that. Actually, we spend a lot about how people arrive. Well, we don't probably spend enough on induction and mm-hmm. people arrive. But nobody ever says, what does a good goodbye look like? I think it's fundamental for the culture of the organisation because you need to make sure you're treating people well through their whole journey. And I think we probably all can think of places where we would happily walk in and say hi to everybody and other places where we feel like we wouldn't be welcome. And that's probably down to the goodbyes we had and the endings we had. Yeah, That's good. I'm going to look for that. Yeah, I'm going to look for that. Uh, so where can people awesome. find
0: your business if someone wants to contact you about getting some training?
1: So, Please I've tell us all web... of
0: your contact info.
1: Yeah. I've got my website thekindbraveleader.co.uk so um, it's a UK one um, on there you can find links to everything else so you can book a call there's a nice big um, button mm-hmm. um, you can look at different things that I offer there's a link to my newsletter my Substack newsletter and then at the bottom on every page hopefully there's a link to my LinkedIn Instagram, Facebook and Twitter so I'm everywhere <laughs> that's great Yeah. So, hopefully you'll be yeah. getting a
0: lot of traffic
1: after this uh, episode posts
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been really great. I've learned a ton. Very insightful.
1: Thank you you so much for having me. It's lovely to spread the word. In the end, that's what we want to do, spread the word of kindness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We need more of it. Thank you to Helen Rimmer for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. And thank you for supporting my podcast. Please like and follow the Librarian Linkover on your favorite podcast app. Follow on social media and visit the LibrarianLinkover.com. Thank you also for the support for my Substack newsletter, Pondering Leadership, where I need to start talking about thriving instead of just like like day-to-day things and how to yeah. actually do them. Uh, <laughs> thank you and welcome to my new subscribers. So exciting when I get new subscribers. I'm excited that so many people are finding value in my leadership and management experiences. Thank you so much for listening and reading.